Welcome listeners to another episode of Insider Talk brought to you by Vpod the podcasting club of IIM Vishakhapatnam Our guest for today is Mr Saurabh Sengupta the vice president of global supply chain at Glenmark Pharmaceuticals an alumnus of FMS with over 2 decades of experience in supply chain with exhaustive exposure on demand and supply planning distribution and delivery planning and delivery supply chain delivery optimization process across a diversified industry base of pharmaceuticals automobile and fmcg he has worked with cipla dr reddy's laboratories danbaxi laboratories general motors and a lot more he is also currently working on snop revamping project under rice with bcg in association with danbaxi laboratories So our guest here is not only witnessed the evolution of supply chain management but has also actively shaped its course with its with their innovative strategies and visionary leadership. So without any further ado we welcome you to our podcast sir. Uh I am your podcaster Sadanira and I am Mathangi. Uh so let's Hi, Thank you. Thank you sir we welcome you. Uh first of all uh starting off Uh, could you bring us uh, back the memories of your mba life uh, and how it was as an experience for you so not to take any uh, inferences out of that mba life was uh, full of fun full of fun means we never used to study and uh, the professors used to keep on hunting for us but luckily me and the weakest of the links for the class uh, we were amongst the placement committees Oh. and uh, so we put in a lot of efforts into the placements and uh, i think the first organization which came in right they shortlisted both of us and uh, fortunately or unfortunately our project was in that particular organization a summer summer project okay. so it was fun mba life was fun that's nice our placement people are also working very hard these days yeah, yeah. Uh, so starting off Uh, given all your uh, diverse industry experience uh, could you elaborate on the unique challenge faced in supply chain management across pharmaceutical automobile and fmcg sector uh, how do these challenges differ and are there any common strategies that are universally applicable in all the sectors so uh, yeah all the three th- uh, sectors have uh, wide variances with each other the automobile fmcg and the pharma sector and they are pretty complex supply chain in their own ball games uh, so if we talk about the automobile sector if we talk specifically for a market like our country india right it is on an evolving platform but the major complexities ranges cut from the current supply chain paradigm is basically which platform to evaluate and further focus on so the organizations right the uh, car manufacturers or the automobile manufacturers are currently uh experimenting between the various types of fuels available in the market right with the government restrictions on diesel vehicles right with ps6 implementation across as a pollution norm for india which is a pretty stringent norm for a market like india right so the, the engineering is taking a beat down as far as the indian market is concerned specifically if they have to follow the ps6 norms right they have to abide by a particular pricing standard which is common in the india market and also they have to curtail back the capacity of their engines the horsepower the cc's etc etc so in this particular paradigm the supply chain manager what happens it becomes extremely tough for him to project the market as a whole so the difference between the pharma market or the fmcg market and the car industry at this point of time is uh, in the car industry the supply chain planner or the supply chain head is 
finds it very rigorous to project the market in our developing market like India, right? Wherein he is unable to project the demand of a particular segment of vehicles, right? If it is some Tata, right, or some Maruti, their yeah. projections are pretty stable. Their evolvement is pretty stable, right? Mm-hmm. If you see Tata has two, three top variants, right? You can say Harrier, Safari, etc., etc., mm-hmm. and they have a particular fan base. Similar is the case with Maruti. They have a particular fan base in a particular economic zone, right? So that is pretty simpler. But when you go to complex organizations like Volkswagen, right, Ford, Ford has anyways exited India. If you go to Volkswagen, GM has already exited India because they, they are not able to bear the competition and the segmentation of the Indian public at this point of time. So apart from high runners, right, Mahindra, Maruti, Tata, balance everything, everyone has a problem with projectability. Mm-hmm. But one projectability and they are pretty confused on the segmentation, which segment to look for and capturing what percent of market share would be a challenge. Would be a challenge, it would not be a challenge. And if you move back to the FMCG industry, right? In earlier days, what FMCG used to mean from a supply chain perspective was shifting of goods or uh, finished goods from here to there. So FMCG was all about availability. So the better availability in your shelf, if you have a brand image, the products used to move. So FMCG till this point of time, as the years have progressed, it is more focused currently on brand building and availability to that brand building. New product launches for FMCG still remains a challenge based on the market share that new product is supposed to capture and what is the manufacturability or the availability of that new product across the shelf. For example, if you're trying to launch a new TV band, right? I'm, instead of white goods, I'm categorizing it as an FMCG, right? In this particular market, right? There's no segmentation of television at this point of time. People can buy anything. What an ordinary consumer like you and me will do, we will just go and look at uh, surroundings, go to Amazon, right? find out the price and go for the best suited for our purpose. Right. So there's, there's no segmentation, there's no uh, brand following as such. So it becomes pretty, pretty difficult for the FMCG industry to take any FMCG environment, take consumables, perfumes, right? There's a lot of competition from the local players at this point of time. Sellers like Amazon and on other online sellers, right? Uh, they tend to promote whosoever has a fair bit of rating and a fair bit of availability, right? Yes. And consumers are governed by those ratings and availability. So that has become pretty complex. So FMCG is all about that particular sector in which they don't have to have hardcore shops out there for their retail. They now tend to fully focus on uh, these online stores like Amazon, Flipkart, etc, etc. So their supply chain is that. And pharma supply chain still thrives on international markets, to be very uh, precise and fair, right? The, the biggest consumer of pharmaceuticals is US, still at this point of time. US has been a biggest consumer for Indian-made pharmaceutical for the last 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And our markets like India, Asia, Africa, etc., etc., in the pharmaceutical parlance are still evolving they have still not gone completely to the lifestyle drugs. 
consider consider a situation and uh, at your age or my age if someone doctor tells you something right you have a high blood pressure you have a high cholesterol what will you first try to do as a considering an indian mindset right you will try a remedy yes you will go walking you will go running you will try a remedy you won't just jump in uh, jump into lifestyle drugs so that is a difference of uh, consumer between uh, consumer mindset between indian market and the developed market so this is in basically uh, the supply chain complexities are in broad the market for fmcg automobiles and pharma right sir that was very simply put and easy to understand even for us uh, so coming on to the disruptions in supply chain we have been hearing this term a lot Uh, so supply chain disruptions uh, have become more and more common especially in these times where uh, global events like russia ukraine war and palestine war uh, which is currently going uh, how do businesses build resilience to supply chain in such uh, situations uh, and unforeseen disruptions and also uh, are there any specific risk management strategies that you would recommend for uh, students to follow in future supply chain professions yeah there's a traditional mindset on any any of the unforeseen situation or you can say act of gods wars etc etc right the traditional mindset is predictability in that you are not able to predict these accurately right now predictability has two aspects one is when that event is going to happen right that is still visible if you can still take some market Uh, information right you'll be able to uh, know when that event is going to be visible for example take an example of covid right the first covid spread uh, spread in china and after that it took nearly 4 to 5 months for that covid to spread across the globe so the spread of that event has a fair bit of lead time right when it percolated across the globe but what we are not able to predict still at this point of time is the tenure of that event how long is any event going to last If you see the last war that is raging in the Russia one, right? Russia Ukraine war. Yes. We have now stopped following as normal human beings what is going on in that war. Mm-hmm. Everyone has lost interest. Now, if we consider the tenure of their war, how that war has impacted us. So, I'll tell you the latest Israel situation. In our pharmaceutical palm balance, right? Israel is a big manufacturer of capsules. You heard about empty capsule gels, right? Yes. and second israel is a major manufacturer of tubes uh, you must have seen ointment in the tubes your move etc right yes, yes. so empty tubes israel is a major manufacturer and is a economic manufacturer of empty tubes mm. so let's take the example of israel what really happened in israel so if you see because of cost saving purposes right because everyone is looking at economies of scale a lot of organizations have migrated to israel based tubes because the earlier tubes which were sourced from china and more tubes which are sourced from uh, canada in fact canada was earlier the major exporter of empty tubes which we all used to procure from because of the economies people have migrated to tubes based in israel now what has happened is now there's no certainty the tubes manufacturers are not having any issues in manufacturing right the manufacturing has not stopped consider this from a supply chain perspective what has stopped is the logistics in between mm-hmm. there's no logistical connect- connectivity so it's a matter of time their manufacturing also dries up their inputs also dries up they they don't have any raw material to manufacture their tubes on right it's a matter of time now you 
having an alternate source in supply chain is an extremely costly affair it's not a simple affair because if suppose you are running an industry right if i come to you and i tell you that you are my alternate source are you ready for that the first thing you will ask is if i have to sacrifice some of my capacities to you right what is the volume commitment you will be giving and in the normal span of time i won't be able to give you any volume commitment because i already have a preferred source in place right then we'll enter into a negotiation that okay my preferred pricing of my preferred source is this that this that and we'll split the business my overall business will be split in two parts that part can vary 80 20 60 40 50 50 whatever right now you'd become a second source now what happens is my first source on seeing that his volumes are dropped right he will offer me some additional motivation by way of anything right by way by way of reducing his prices etc etc so maintaining two sources is always a costly affair first is on the supply chain and second is on the cost front right and in pharmaceutical complexity whenever you have to qualify two sources it's not very easy to qualify because what happens is it's a very sensitive industry your tablet capsules or ointment whatever material touches it right if a strip is touching your tablet right you open that uh, strip and eat the tablet right the ointment the tube inside of the tube is touching that ointment it will have to be loaded into stability mm. and that's not an easy affair so whatever shelf life you are getting on the product right that shelf life is after loading it into that many years of stability so developing a source is not a knee jerk and developing a source requires a lot of thinking so alternate sources basically in in times of knee jerks for example covid right covid lasted for quite some time and china was the major element in which we used to import apis china is the major active pharmaceutical ingredient supplier across the globe so at that point of time if it comes to api tube is pretty sim- simpler whatever i said that's a packing material right when it comes to api which is an active pharmaceutical ingredient you have to further experiment into that you have to further load into that you will have to take engineering batches you have to put the api in a short float so it's complex it's not easy to develop an avd or alternate source because all the organizations have their financial restrictions right on developments so predictability and acting on it you we predict 10 different things at different point of times so that is going to hit our supply chain but you have to choose pick and choose amongst those things to prioritize yes so for example this israel thing we immediately went into went back we already had alternate vendors because israel came in late right in in the pharmaceutical part we already had alternate vendors now we went ahead and strengthened our relations with, with those vendors right why what i mean by strengthening the relationships is increasing their volumes increasing looking into their pricing partnerships etc etc so it's not an easy theoretical element to have a alternate uh, entity in place basically for all these hope i have answered your question yeah yes uh so moving on since uh, from whatever we understand uh we understand that pharmaceutical industry the pharmaceutical supply chain is quite known for its complexity its regulations and all the uh, critical need for quality so can you discuss some of the key challenges that you have faced in in ensuring such a smooth and efficient pharmaceutical supply chain at glidmark and 
how have you addressed these challenges with some innovative solutions yeah so uh, just to give you a brief insight on pharmaceutical supply chain every single element is governed by quality so pharmaceutical or any supply chain starts with demand planning right you plan the demand you forecast the demand then there's demand generation and demand management right how much demand you have planned how much you are able to cater right with your resources that is demand management and what is the priority which market which uh, state which uh, region you have to prioritize your supplies that falls under the periphery of demand management then comes under logistics then you have to import raw material packing material for your own manufacturing needs right to cater those demand then you have a component of inventory that is a safety stock buffer stocks whatever within the chain to cater that demand then you have a component of manufacturing and post between manufacturing post manufacturing there are components of quality involved into it and then you have logistics which takes you to the respective markets or countries right so this is the end to end chain therein you get uh, draw your organization's revenue from that so each aspect of this has a quality paradigm so when we talk about demand planning right we must say that uh, we must visualize we would visualize right that demand planning doesn't have a quality parameter but that's not correct even for entering certain markets you have to go by the quality restrictions for example if i'm planning for a particular molecule right if my molecule um, when i when, when i'm talking about a molecule it means a generic drug right mm-hmm. just a, so uh, when we are planning for a certain mo- molecule in a us market you first have to is ensure that that is passing the market's quality paradigm you may be having that particular mar- molecule in other markets but that necessarily doesn't mean that you are eligible to market it within the quality norms to other countries you are marketing a particular molecule in us you cannot just just as it go ahead and market it in india it has a quality norm stipulated within it so from demand generation when you go to raw material right each of your raw material vendors is quality approved visited and so for example you are a vendor to me right you have five molecules you are supplying five apis to me all the five apis will have to be quality approved your source has to be quality approved and then only you'll be in a state to supply us then when it comes to internal manufacturing all the realms have quality testing involved into it all the five stages of uh, engineering or manufacturing have quality involved to finish product goes through vigorous quality testing before it is released to the respective market so within this quality framework you may see huge rejections some of the rejections we call it as in supply chain parlance we call it as batch specific rejections some of the rejections we may term it as product robustness rejections right so uh, whoever is the supply chain planner or head right he has to go through and plan very carefully all these rejections so rejections and rejections are not immediate for example you don't manufacture a tetrad and it gets rejected in the span of time right rejections may happen today also after two months also because some products they have a they have that kind of release time like right? they have to be put into microbial they have to be put into various other quality testing right? in between also you may get a rejection so the major challenge which a supply chain professional faces is how to address that rejection right you may get a clue that this is not going very smooth you have uh, got an exclusion you have you've got 
some kind of peaks in the testing process right you cannot just go ahead and plan a replacement for that because it comes at a cost you will have to wait for the entire testing to get over and you may plan uh, based on your intelligence you may plan some input materials you may plan till the level of sfg sfg is the semiconductor finished goods but you may not go ahead and build additional inventory into the chain because it comes at a cost so quality planning basically still is a major major challenge for our kind of industry because it varies when compliances are so tight and it also depends on the level of compliance that is incorporated by the respective geographies on pharmaceutical industry so it varies and it's pretty tough to you have to be always on your toes Uh, right so similar to quality i think both automobile and pharmaceutical industry are also under increasing pressure to adopt sustainable and ethical supply chain practices so could you share some examples of how glenmark has embraced sustainable and ethical consideration into its global supply chain and the impact these initiatives have had on the business and its reputation See, uh, for an organization like uh, Glenmark, or uh, take an example of any pharmaceutical organization which uh, is a global organization, right? The correct quality parameters uh, doesn't have any compromise. So, even if an organization or industry wants, they, they are not in a situation to compromise a single percentage on the quality parameters. If a limit of a, uh, if the parameter of a particular product is ninety-two to ninety-five. even if it is 92 that is on border and it has the organization has to let go of that particular batch so the stringency because people here when they enter enter organizations like glenmark who have been more than 3 decades right serving the right so in such organizations basically quality is built to the core the primary primary thing here is quality and quality comes at a cost but these organizations or anyone who is uh, operating in the pharma parlance right they have to consider the cost in their business model itself uh so in uh, in this particular question uh, i don't think uh, anything further could be added but only thing is quality is uncompromisable in any of these organizations right sir earlier we were talking about the demand side and the supply side of uh, supply chain management uh, so we know that integration of demand and supply planning uh, is vital for the efficiency of the supply chain management uh, could you explain the significance of integrating these processes and share the best practices for achieving seamless coordination between demand and supply uh, from your experience at cipla yeah so uh, basically uh, you guys must have heard about a phenomena known as local optimization right so what is local optimization in the terms of uh, from people orientation perspective is when it comes to locally optimize people and departments they think only about their kpis or individual kras right yes. so what happens in stand alone demand planning supply planning demand planning is majorly concentrating on the products their demand fulfillment of their demand and how that demand could be serviced to the extent of 100% right supply planning on the other end of the paradigm they talk only about the supplies and how they can basically maximize to the demand now what happens when they start operating on a stand alone basis without any integration their local care is come into the picture so demand 
the force which the demand planning exerts because the market and demand planning here is the same right the force on which the demand planning exerts on the back end or the supply planning manufacturing procurement etc etc is to extract 100% which is not always feasible right because we have to consider a factor of constrained planning in current environment or in any environment basically there are constraints which have to be considered and optimized completely so when it comes to an integrated planning platform right this pull between the two agencies uh the loss arising from this pull between the two agencies is somewhat mitigated to a considerable extent so uh, when i'm talking about a loss coming from these agencies when it comes to individual kpis somehow this is a 100% pull and this is not able to supply to that 100% pull what happens in the meantime the organization loses there's something in between which is not fully optimal for example you have 10 products right demand planning says i want these 10 products they will not share any prioritization with you until unless you have a robust slop and an advanced slop in place and supply planning comes under the pressure to service the entire 10 products and fails in two so what happens this particular supply planning is not aware on what's going on in the front end this guy is aware on what's going on in the front end what products he can manage without what products he is not able to manage without because the inventory keeping or he this guy is aware on what inventory he is holding and whether how flux is his forecast right this guy is not aware on how flux is this guy's forecast and what products he is asking for inventory what products he is asking for current month sales right in this paradigm he will supply eight eight products and say my hit ratio is 80% this guy will carry two products which he doesn't need for immediate month sales right this is a complete loss to the organization when it comes to an integrated supply chain planning what will happen is you have end to end visibility across the chain this guy will partner with the supply planning and he will try to optimize fully he will talk about gc gc means a uh, gross contribution each product has on the bottom line of an organization right when it comes to constrained resources they both will come hand in hand and prioritize those constrained resources to derive 80% for the organization rather than in the earlier earlier scenario they lost nearly 20 30% for the organization as we so this is the core benefit of having an integrated supply chain now what happens is in an integrated supply chain you cannot every time work on a forecast driven scenario so wherever we have gone ahead and integ- uh, implemented integrated supply chain it was part of pull and part of push the forecast driven scenario is a push system right wherein you are forecasting what you are not sure you will be able to liquidate or sell right and your forecast accuracy even if it is 75% 80% which is the industry benchmark right still you are losing 20 30% and out of that 75% forecast accuracy if the supply is able to supply you only 80% then you are losing big time so in an integrated platform it's always the pull that works better with the push right so what is the pull system uh, you must have heard about the theory of constraints right uh, what uh, dr eliahu goldrat uh, propagated so what the theory of constraints propagates on the replenishment model is the market pulls the finished products from the factory there's nothing known as forecasting right mm-hmm. on individual depletion when your stock level started depleting for wherever from wherever zone you are maintaining the buffer zone the manufacturing process will start and there is will be a buffer in between to cater your fluctuation 
so that way it's a win win situation for everyone you don't lose sale to that extent based on your forecast biases and secondly your supply biases which are into the picture have enough lead time for resolution so and that is the core uh, working methodology of an integrated uh, supply chain planning which i have seen right sir coming back to glenmark uh, we know that they are one of the leading players in the generic medicine space uh, yeah. it has a focus on developing economies in india uh, could you explain us what sets india apart from the other developing countries and economies uh, especially when considering some of the unique challenges our country might pose uh, in the supply chain perspective so let's uh, whom do you want to compare it with us we can compare it with the us or europe sure sir let's compare uh, india with the us right how the model is different uh, so us is basically an insurance driven sector so in us uh, if you are working anywhere if you are doing business anywhere right you will be insured right and in india also we are insured it's not that india our organizations doesn't insure us but there's a wide variance between both these insurances right india currently since it is developing it focuses on the hospitalizations the doctor fees etc etc us since it's a developed market it focuses even on the medicines so all the medicines which the us consumer buys on prescription are all insured the insurance takes care of those medicines so what happens is the buyer becomes a coalition of insurance organization so if you see the retail out there in the us the major retailers cvs walmart walgreens abc right they are huge retailers if you go to the us you will see their counters right those are immense the even the medical counters you can walk in from end to end they don't charge the customers directly it is through insurance the customer will produce uh, produce some prescription based on that which they have to replenish so the pricing war becomes severe when it goes to us and there are two aspects one is who is paying for your medicines second is when we are paying for the medicines we have to ensure that we are buying the medicines at the cheapest price right still for india if you compare the uh, price range and the consumption between us and india it becomes a very very profitable and lucrative market us right so the competition is humongous how the us market goes on is you launch a product for example the gsks of the world the mercs of the world they will launch a product that is still not filed and that's an innovation drug they will launch a product and they will enjoy certain years of exclusivity for that product that's an exclusive product for that after certain years us government us government gives that exclusivity you enjoy the exclusivity for 10 years after that it will be open for all the players yeah. now when we say open for all the players all the other players will manufacture the generic version of that exclusivity of that branded uh, generics right and then the price war will start then all the cvs abc etc will come and bid and the lowest bidder and who can supply in the shortest frame of time will get that business and he will start supplying so this is basically the business uh, pharmaceutical business in the us right how the medicine. in india in india basically it is prescription drugs and you have to shell the money out of your own pocket for these prescription drugs in india there are two kinds of medicines broadly i'm just giving you a broad overview one the controlled drugs which are controlled price controlled drugs which are controlled by the government of india so government of india every now and then they will take out a circular that these all molecules will fall into the category of price controlled drugs 
So any organization won't be able to sell over and above the price which has been stipulated by the government, right? And also secondly, there's another legislation. Any organization won't be able to reduce their volumes for those drugs. So they have been supplying as per a particular volume. They won't be able to reduce those volumes so that no profit making happens for those drugs which are life-saving drugs. Second is you understand, right? Generics is currently starting in you, uh, India. Still, the people or the consumer are not that accustomed to the generic medicines. They are still, for example, if you go, you will ask for Dolo, right? In the COVID times, we have all seen Dolo. How Dolo has what is Dolo? Dolo is paracetamol. You very rarely people will go to the uh, chemist and ask for a paracetamol. Very rarely, right? And as you graduate. Uh, same is with ibuprofen, same is with, uh, you won't even remember the VIX that you are taking, right? What is the generic name of that VIX? No one knows that, right? Mm. Same, same, no one knows what is MOVE, that painkiller, point when which we use. No one knows, it's plain diclofenac. So no one goes, it's a phenomena of mindset change mm. between these two markets. Once you go and ask the shop, uh, uh, shop right, you want diclofenac. He will give you 10 different variants. He will give you the cheapest version available. He can even give you a generic version. So it is the consumer which has to get graduate. So this is the difference between India as and US. So then uh, moving a little forward to the uh, how the world has been changing. So this is a rapid advancement in technologies and how uh, so, how the role of these technologies such as artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, data analytics has transformed supply chain management on a whole. Uh, so, what opportunities or challenges do these technologies present for professionals entering the field of supply chain management today? See, AI, everyone uh, has started using AI, right? Basically, uh, analytics, analytics there is a huge scope and huge data available in all of the platforms for uh, artificial intelligence. So when we talk about analytics, we start from demand, right? The market is filled with data. Now, the problem with using AI tools at this point of time, right, is organizations have that mindset to use these AI tools only for short term benefits. They still have to develop that mindset that these AI tools can add to their top line. Currently, the concentration of AI tools is only on enhancing the bottom line of the organization. So you do understand the difference between the top line and bottom line, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So current AI tools they use for small, small projects like how do I improve the cost of logistics? How do I turn to capture further market share to a bit from competitors, right? These are the usage of AI tools which add to your bottom line. You They reduce your inventory. They help you with logistics, alternate path, alternate providers. They help you with some of your vendors if you have alternate vendors in place. But there's a broader usage to the AI tools. Another problem is the market is filled with data. Now, which data AI has to be told on which particular data and which particular platform you have to source data from. You cannot source data from any platform because it will be junk. So when we talk about enhancing a top line for any organization, you can use data which is available in the market to the extent of market share. Currently, we use market share that, okay, the competitor has 20% market share, the competitor is out of stocks, right? 
so i have a time based approach that i can take the market share of the competitor by selling more in this time zone right because he is out of stock that data is available in ai another set of data with the organizations are not looking for from these databases and not implementing artificial intelligence is how long will that stock out last how will you get that data that data is also available because any developed markets whenever a competitor or any organization is going out of stock he has to declare the specific problems right and he has to also tell the regulators that how long he will be out of stock because markets like us they don't want to let their consumers suffer because of lack of medicines so they are very very stringent of organizations if you are going out of stocks you have to tell us by when you will be back so all this data is readily available you just have to use those data to try and focus on your top line to rather than just being stringent and conservative and focus on your bottom lines so that is what uh, the fate of ai at this point of time is so that that's really interesting and so on the same note could you share some valuable insights or lessons that you have gained throughout your career and you believe that these would be beneficial for those starting their journey in supply chain management yeah so uh, i remember in 2006 right in 2006 i was with drn and uh, dr eliahu goldrat and his team started a project in drn and that was the first time i think he has written the book the goal some years back from them it was a curriculum in not times i don't know now right so he started propagating the theory of constraints to us so it was so dynamic that no one believed in it including me so at that point of time we were very habituated to working on forecast we were very habituated to forecasting and then starting replenishment against the forecast to build inventory against that forecast we had a particular set of processes that was going smooth what we didn't realize is there can be something in a much improved or improvised form than what we are following so that is the advice to all of you whenever someone is coming out with something new just drill deep and try to experiment as much as possible that will help you grow so what happened in that particular paradigm i'll uh, tell you so it was about moving to a pull based model from a push based model right from to a replenishment model the second important factor which they implemented in a shop floor was dbo drum buffer rope we used to call it simplified drum buffer rope sdbr so we were very happy with our constraint for example another point of time our capsule line was a constraint right and we were very happy about it okay we can manufacture only to the extent of 100 million we can't go higher right till we are able to source a new machinery in place right they implemented that we were blind about that and we had a blind zone about that we were very reluctant to bring in any new fundamentals that they taught us but they went to the shop floor and they 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 just told us that how many how much wip or working process material is waiting in front of that capsule line right it was nothing no wip was waiting right so what it meant was that you are not starting project production till the time you optimally rate, uh, utilize this resource so what they, the simple tone uh, they told us is that you have to load this resource to the fullest and you have to be constrained around this resource so this has to become your drum and you have to build a buffer around that so at any given point of time this resource should have 200% to manufacture 
and this resource should be running 24 by 7. And that was a simple change, right, which we could have derived out of our common sense. Right? And after implementation of the change, believe me, we went up to 130 million. Earlier, we were 100 million. 130 million in a month is 30% growth on your revenues without anything. So and that is the only thing. Just be open to all the elements which come to your fore, which are new, which may be new, new to you. You may love your work, but something else may be waiting, which will be better for you. Right. Uh, so connecting two different subjects here, uh, yeah. how is the sales and operations planning process institutionalized uh, and driven in collaboration with sales and marketing of a company? Uh, driven in collaboration with? Sales and marketing of a company. Yeah. So uh, basically sales and operation planning, right? The first entity which comes is sales, right? And then operations planning. Sure. So what happens is, uh, there's a fundamental known as focus forecasting. Okay, focus forecasting, what does it imply is a company's revenue uh, and individuals or sales revenue targets are something different and different and what he's forecasting for is something different, right? So what usually happens is people focus for inventory rather than the sales, right? So that is why sales and operations planning becomes a prime focus in all the organizations. They Sales has their own task, right? They're supposed to sell, right? Operations has their own task. They're supposed to provide for what sales is going to sell, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a huge gap between sales and operations at any given point of time. What sales and operations planning in brief does is they put a cycle around this gap or they put a constraint around this gap. If you're forecasting something, right, we'll attribute a value to that forecasting and that is what you're supposed to sell. Right. And whatever we are not able to provide, it will be a loss that will be removed from your focus. Right. So if you, these, I just narrated you a small element by way of a KPI, this becomes a KPI. So what usually happens in sales and operations planning is you focus for a particular terrain. You can say one month, two months, three months, right. That becomes your value. You will not be now reliant on your budget value. You will be reliant on that forecast value and that will be presented to the senior most management of the organization. You start your planning from that. You start supplies based on that. And whatever, wherever you're facing a constraint, like for example, I told you the constraint of a machinery or equipment which used to manufacture capsules, right? Now capsules for five different markets are being manufactured there. If you don't have sales and operation planning, you'll end up responding to the noise from various markets, right? You'll try to prioritize on your own. First is any constraint, you have to have a prioritize, prioritization mechanism, which has to be signed up by all the stakeholders. For example, I can give 100 million. My demand for this particular bond is 200 million. I will give 100 million, but this is my prioritization criteria, which has to be signed up by all, right? Which has been signed up by all. And some of the markets will have to go in for a sales loss. Some of the markets will have to operate with lower inventory, but that is what is the current constraint. If you don't have a sales and operations planning in process, your current constraint wouldn't be able to exploit evenly. For example, the 30 million gap, the gap of 30 million, if that gap you pass it on to the US market, you give 30 million less to the US market, you'll be able to give derived $15 million lower. Right. If you if the similar, you can give it to the India market, right? Because capsules had a has a uh, different GC attached to this bottom line attached to it. 
if you give that 30 million gap to the india market they will be able to survive with that overall the organization will be benefiting including the end consumer right so this is in brief the sales and operation planning now you have to have solid tools to support this because if you just resort to prioritization mechanisms in excel it won't work here i told you only about capsule machine when you are running a 100 million plant right you have 10 different constraints and this tool has to run for all the constraints the tool has to be signed off the output and input has to be signed off for all the constraints and if you don't get it signed off by end to end supply chain that is sales operations business finance and eventual supply chain planning and execution you won't be able to exploit any constraint yeah. and eventually eventually what will happen is for lack of a proper sales and operations planning your organization's profitability is going to suffer on a year on year basis right sir uh moving on to the end of our podcast uh this is a necessary question in these days uh, so coming back to covid pandemic uh how has covid pandemic impacted the global supply chains and more importantly what are some of the key lessons that can be learned in supply chain management from covid yeah so two elements uh, one prime factor which is uh, it has impacted is nothing is predictable okay. that mindset has come into people second is do not put all your eggs in the same basket right what happened is uh, there was a the, uh, the country where covid started that was the country which suffered a lot right and till the very end that country had covid then and unfortunately that country is the global's biggest uh, globe's biggest supplier be it anything consider it anything right so that particular aspect is currently clear that at least for your key revenue generators for any organization you have to have a plan b in place even if it is coming at a cost you have to have a plan b in place second is the lead time of your plan b execution for example like we spoke about the israel war right it was not predictable yeah. and the duration is also not predictable the plan b execution of plan b has to be robust for example if you are loading a product in stability with a new vendor right you have 24 months of loading for the shelf life right you have to reduce it you have means and mechanism by way of accelerated stability loading in nowadays you have to invest in technology with accelerated stability loading and various other technologies that are available right so only two elements one is predictability is not always possible so you cannot have the eggs in the same basket you have to invest in alternates second is the speed of response whenever a pandemic hits hits us how soon can an organization or a supply chain respond those are the two elements which i think i can right sir uh, so towards the end of our podcast we usually have a segment of a random question uh, to end yep. it on a light note uh, so we would like to know more about your hobbies my hobbies are uh, reading so basically i practice uh, buddhism it's not a religion it's a way of life right it's nichiren buddhism so i tend to read a lot wherever i get free time i read into uh, buddhism topics that's a very interesting topic right i have seen that article on your linkedin page where you spoke about van and how you connected to that to life uh-huh. it's really nice sorry enlightening and thank you so much we will keep all the points in mind as someone as a fresher who's entering in the industry of supply chain we'll make sure we'll keep our options open to all the new and upcoming uh in uh, events in the industry and we'll promise to dig a little deeper 
and make sure that we get the uh, truck trucks out of it thank you so much thank sir thank you sir thanks thanks adan